Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To infiltrate the Oscars with our movie on how to save a mockingbird? Yeah, yeah w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, 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 oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Double Feature Versus. I am Anthony. I am Brad. Yeah, that guy, he's um, he's Brad. All right, uh, and today we are discussing two, um, I want to say, coming-of-age films in the 70s. Uh, that, that's, yeah, that's fair enough. The, the, um, Tender Bars in the 70s, right? Yeah, I want to say it's like 74, 75 is when it starts. Uh, but it goes between the seventies and eighties. Okay, all right. So we got um, uh, the George Clooney's The Tender Bar versus my guy Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. Um, uh, I know we're not one for the kind of kind of. Oh yeah. Well, before we hop into this, folks, we gotta give a quick dedication to uh, two legends. Um, you know. Rest in peace to uh, uh, Sidney Poitier and uh, Bob Saget. You know, Bob Saget was uh, one of America's favorite television dads and uh, one of the best vulgar comedians out there. You know, which is which is so great because like he has we, we knew him for such a lovable, you know, warm personality on TV. But then you watch his stand up and like he just has like the best over the top vulgar comedy. Yeah, he, he definitely had a. Uh interesting career path after uh full house which is where he got his start so (laughs) it's kind of funny to see where he uh was recently uh because he was actually doing stand-up again uh and he actually did one so the news of this just came up like maybe 30 minutes before we started recording of his passing Mm -hmm. in orlando so the details aren't fully there yet but uh he right. did actually do a stand-up set yesterday in Jackson, which it, those people, you know, that were at that small comedy club actually got to see the last time that Bob Saget performed before his which death. Which crazy. Which yeah, it's crazy. insane. Um, yeah, man. Uh, rest in peace. Or, you know, as the kids say, rest in heaven to uh, Bob Saget, dude. And, um, you know, Sidney Poitier. I mean, what else can be said about this dude, man? He's the goat of acting. Like, he's one of the goats of, of acting. If you, anybody you can really name today, like, that are considered, like, veteran, great veteran actors, Denzel Washington, Daniel Day-Lewis, Dustin Hoffman, I assure you, every one of those men have been inspired by a piece of Sidney Poitier's acting. You know, uh, this man has done great work uh, in the heat of the night. Uh, the Defiant Ones, A Raisin in the Sun, the 70s comedies he did with Bill Cosby. Yeah, Sidney Poitier was a pretty great. Have you seen a lot of Poitier's films? I know of him, but I can't honestly think of like any films I know him from. Oh, man, you need to get on that, man. Yeah. You might need to do an episode on him. Like He, he has made some pretty great films in his day. We, we can definitely do an episode on him, for sure. Yeah, he's just one of those actors that just sets the bar on great acting. Um, there's been many, and like I said, there's been many over time, like Denzel, Daniel Day, him, uh, Lawrence Olivier. He's just, he's up there as just, you know, one of the greats at this thing called acting. And uh, cinema has lost a true legend. All right. So, uh, on to other things. Yep, now we can wipe away the tears and move on to the movies. Right. Um, oh, I got something else I want to say. I finally joined the club, man. I, I got a. I'm in the 4K club now. Nice. I finally got myself a 4K TV. I just need to get a new TV, but you know, 
4K is what's out now. So, so how long before you get your? Or do you have any 4K uh, Blu-rays yet? Or nah, man, I ain't too concerned with that right now. Oh, okay, so you're just 4K streaming for now. Just 4K streaming, 4K TV. Uh, it looks very nice. I didn't have to calibrate it. It like the. It was like, look, it was kind of already calibrated, which surprised me. Yeah, you have uh, HDR. Yeah. Uh, do you know what version of HDR you have? Uh, ten. Ten. Okay. Is that a good thing? I don't know. That's a good one. So there's okay. different versions of HDR. There's uh, HDR. Then there's HDR ten. Then there's HDR ten plus. Uh, then there's a. Then there's Dolby Vision, which is technically HDR, but it's different. Uh, yeah, it's it gets to a bit of a mess, but. As long as the yeah. box says HDR, you're pretty much good. Uh, yeah, there's had, very minimal difference between them. Yeah, I, I figured. Um, I just wanted a bigger TV, so I got a, a high sense Roku. Um, I don't see any motion smoothing though, which I guess is a good thing because every time I saw that on the TV, it looked kind of weird to me. Yeah, motion smoothing is one of those things where it works if you're watching something very old, but newer movies, it just makes everything look i i don't want to say washed out but it, it makes it look washed out it make to me it made it look hyper realistic like people would say it was the worst setting to use for stranger things oh yeah i know a lot because, of people always go turn it off uh i never have it turned on on my any of my stuff i don't even think i have the setting to be honest i, I try looking just to try it out but i don't even think i have that um but yeah, I don't think I, I ain't got nothing to complain about. I don't think I would have wanted it in the first place. So yeah, man. Um, I just got myself a new Fire Stick too, just because I can control the volume on the button. So it just happens to be 4K. So I guess everything works now. I don't know if I'm gonna move into the 4K Blu-ray players, man. I, I think I'm comfortable where I'm at. I I don't know if I see much of a difference with 4K and Blu-ray. See, I there's some movies where you can definitely tell the difference, but a lot of it also has to do with how high grade the TV is that you have, because like you know there's different qualities of TVs when it comes to like even 1080p and HD and everything like that, where the brightness, the contrast on it, you know everything like that, it has a huge effect on it. So with some you can definitely tell the difference. With other TVs, it kind of blends everything. A little bit more so mm-hmm. it, it also depends on your setup uh like i have my like 4k projector setup and i can tell the difference between throwing on the blu-ray for like avengers for example versus the 4k for avengers like there there is a difference that you can tell when it gets to that size for like a i think i have so, another like 40 inch tv that's a 4k and go ahead. i couldn't tell you the difference between 1080p and 4k in that one uh, so what do you think is the main difference between Avengers 4K and Avengers 1080p? Uh, just kind of the level of detail. So with the 4K one, you have HDR. So the colors are a little bit more, I guess, in-depth is the word. But you can definitely tell the difference between colors of buildings and different things. Like uh, the colors on like Captain America's suit kind of pop a little bit more in the 4K version versus the 1080p. Mm-hmm. So it's all really just quality. Uh, it's there's, colors. Yeah, it's colors. That's what it comes down to. Okay. So if you're fine with the 1080p version, you're going to be fine. It's the same thing that people have been saying for a while. Uh, 4K is good for people that want 4K, but 1080p is fine for most people. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I guess I'm an old-timer, dude. When 1080p first dropped, that changed the whole game for me. Like I'm like I can watch Citizen Kane in an ups like like in an updated format. Oh, no. 4K looks nice, um, and it's good for my uh, my new TV. Like, cause I really had no choice. All the new TVs have 4K now; it's the standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm all right with going back to 1080p. That's all right with me. Yeah, I've never had a problem with 1080p. Uh, there was a huge jump from like standard definition 480 to 1080. The jump to 4K wasn't as big. Uh, it was for games. Video games are what really benefited from 4K. Movies... Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah. So. 
It's a new day. All right, man. So Licorice Pizza technically came out first. You you want to go chronological on this one? Um, yeah. For this one, let's just go chronological. All right, makes sense. All right. So Thomas, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's newest film, Licorice Pizza. Uh, mind if I take the reins? Uh, this is your movie, so you take the reins on this one. All right, all right, all right. So Licorice Pizza. Um, this is a coming of age, you know, dramedy. So this um, deals with a young man played by Cooper Hoffman, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, rest in peace. Uh, he His name is Gary Valentine. He's a young kid actor, uh, 15 years old. Um, at, a, um, at, a, at a casting gig, he meets a, um, a, young, a young woman who's older than him, 25 years old, named Elena Kane, played by Elena Haim. Um, good singing group named Haim, so, uh, like, like three sisters, they sing together. In real life. But uh, her name is Elena Kane. Um, he tries to, like, flirt with her a little bit. And, you know, she keeps rejecting them because, you know, he's 15. Um, but they have good banter together. So uh, he um, he goes, uh, he, he, he leaves the, um, it's not even a casting gig. I think they're taking, like, headshots, right? Um, I think it's school picture day or something. Because it was happening at the school. Oh, okay. School picture day. There you go. I, I think that's I, what it was. Okay, so it was school picture day where they met, and she was an assistant to the photographer. So, um, you know, she uh, he 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 goes from there. You know, he's he's falling in love with this girl. Um, from there, he uh, he gets uh, to be in a variety show um, in uh, New York. So, um, in order to go to New York, he needs a chaperone. His mom um, is his manager, his agent. She won't be able to do that because she's going to be going in Las Vegas. So he goes back to this girl, Elena, to uh, be his chaperone. And by then they've kind of gone. They've kind of like gathered a, a, a friendship in a way. It's not it's, it's kind of a one sided attraction at this point, because, again, he's young in her eyes. You know what I mean? He's he's a charming guy. He's a funny young guy, but he's he's still 15 in her eyes. Right. And she's so, like 24 at this 25. point. 25. So. It's it's bordering on illegal there. Bordering. It. Uh, but uh, yeah, she uh she she agrees to be his chaperone, and they um they go to New York, which uh, sets up a funny scene. Um, there's no real plot to L- Licorice Pizza. It's really just something that kind of um, it kind of goes with the flow as you follow their friendship over time, and they run into like one situation to another. And uh, you, it's kind of a will they, won't they kind of film, but um, it, it, the the original title of this film was Soggy Bottom, and you know, <laughs> the idea behind that is that Gary, you know, he starts a waterbed company, where um, he sees a waterbed in this funny scene, uh, where this this woman tries to sell it to him in a very oversexual way, uh, but anyway, he starts a waterbed company with his friends. And uh, Elena becomes his uh, assistant. So um, co-manager, they they co-manage the uh, business together. Co-manage, co-manage. Yeah, because she brings it up multiple times. Of, no co-manager. <laughs> right. So he called the he, the name of the bed is called Soggy Bottom, right? Yeah, Soggy Bottom was their first one, and then it changed to the one with the duck. I can't remember what it was called. I don't, I don't remember either. But anyway, it's funny that he calls it that. Um, so, you know, as time goes on, uh, you know, Gary is still trying to get with Elena, but Elena is still pushing him away. And Elena starts dating one of Gary's um, co-actors in, a, in kind of a variety, a variety group he was in. Um, Lance. That, that goes, Lance, that yeah. goes south. Uh, Elena also, um, Gary introduces Elena to her agent who gets her an audition, uh, with, um, Sean Penn's character, uh, to be in this, um, this show or whatever. Uh, his character's name is Jack Holden, which is inspired by the actor William Holden. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, a lot of, there's a lot of funny moments in this movie. A lot of different people that Gary and Elena meet, um, and that they interact with who are based off or uh, or are real people. The most um, memorable one, the, the one that has the, that um, 
leaves the biggest impression is uh Bradley Cooper's John Peters. Oh uh, yeah, for having by far like very little screen time in this movie, he steals it. Absolutely. Of course, it's <laughs> Bradley Cooper. Um he play, he's great at playing uh uh over the top sociopathic men. Like he he's really great at that. And, you know, John Peters is also, you know, based on the real John Peters, who's this big Hollywood producer, dated Barbra Streisand, a lot of women. Um, but it's just it's so funny how he plays him because he, he comes off like a sociopath, but he's kind of he, he's charming, but weird in the same breath. Like he tells Gary, like, um, hey, look, you know, who my you know who my girlfriend is? Barbra Streisand. No, no. Streisand. OK, Streisand. No, no. Streisand. Strike sand. Is this kid messing with me? Yeah. Like, you know, like he's. It doesn't matter. You won't intense, meet her. <laughs> right. He's such an intense dude in his small screen time that he's like, uh, you know, don't mess up my house. You mess up my house, I'll, I'll kill your family. Or like, he'll, he'll just say some off the wall stuff like that. And um, it's funny because they go in his house and, you know, of course, this is a rude thing to say to somebody. You know, they. You know, he he starts to like kind of leave the hose going in his house to destroy his house. So they start to drive away, uh, but then they run into him because his his car broke down. He needs gas, right? Yeah. So it the interaction is made funny because uh, originally they had come late to deliver the waterbed to him because they ran out of gas, and this is during the gas shortage. Right. So they had to wait to get gas and everything. And when they arrived, he was like, that's so unprofessional. You know what I don't do? I don't run out of gas. You know why? Because I'm responsible and I know how much gas is in my car. So you know where I'm going? I'm going to the movies to see my wife, Barbara Streisand, and I'm going to get there on time. You know why? Because I have gas in my car. And then as they're leaving, they run into him and he's, you know, freaking out because he's like, I ran out of gas. Got to go back and get a gas can. (laughs) Right, and the funniest thing is um, how creepy this guy is. Like he starts, he starts hitting on Elena. Um, then uh, <laughs> that's not even the funniest part. The funniest part is when he gets to the gas station, and he, he straight up steals a gas can for somebody and lights a match, trying to threaten him. Like, what? What do you want to do? Oh like, yeah, he holds up the um, the gas pump, right? And he holds it up to the match. And he is like, "This is mine. Do you agree?" Or what are we going to do? What's happening here? <laughs> and then uh, they end up destroying his car. But uh, the funniest thing from there is that they can't even get the car moving now. Because now they're out of gas again. Yeah, they ran and, out of gas again after destroying his car. So they had to just roll down the hill without any gas. Right. And I love how this is kind of a turning point. That's actually a great scene. Show, showing her like running down the hill. Like That was actually shot. That was shot pretty well. Oh, yeah. Um, I love how this is the turning point for Elena where she's like, dude, why am I hanging out with these kids? Like, I, I need to grow up. I need to kind of do something with my life. Like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to run away from this sociopath Hollywood producer while hanging out with these wild kids. What am I going to do with my life? And this leads to her running for, um, uh, uh, Joel Walks, who was based off a real character as well, um, who was running a mayoral campaign. And um, at this point, Gary starts uh, opens up an arcade because uh, he, he he overhears that pinball has been legalized, which is that's 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 a weird subplot. I because th- I think he initially does it to make make um make her jealous or something, or or she does or he does it to like challenge uh, the the mayor or candidate because she has a crush on him, or he, or he thinks she has a crush on him or something like that. I don't. I didn't take it that way. I took it as him seeing like all he hears is business opportunities so it was the waterbed company and then he met the mayor and out of everything like he was talking about how he wanted to change different policies and this and that and off the side he mentions oh yeah and pinball machines are legalized now should we mention that in the video i don't think we need to mention that in the video and Mm. out of everything that he was doing that uh, she was interested in he only picked up on the pinball machines being legalized because that's a business opportunity. So it, it kind of showed that his focus is always on that kind of stuff. He could care less about, you know, all the other issues this person's going for, but 
he legalized pinball machines and I can capitalize on that. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, you know, this this really builds up to an end where, um, you know, we, we realize that, you know, uh, Joel is, um, you know, he's he's actually a closeted man. You know, this whole time he tells people in the public eye, oh, you know, I'm dating, but I don't have like a wife or anything. I'm, I'm testing the waters when really he, he has a relationship with another man, but it hasn't come out as homosexual because, you know, he, I, I can't imagine at that time that would be frowned upon. Yeah, this was during the 70s when it was seen as wrong. And I mean, it was even up until like the last decade, it was illegal in most states still. Right, right. So she shows up where he's on a date with his um his uh his boyfriend and she says, hey, you know, take him home. Make it seem like you're with him. We all just had drinks together, but you're you're his girlfriend. And so, you know, after that, um her and Gary, you know, Gary's alone at the arcade waiting on her. And this is his opening day. Um, and, you know, she hasn't shown up. He doesn't really know what to do. So he goes out looking for her while she goes out looking for him. Uh, you know, init- you know, eventually the two do meet up and, um, you know, they find each other and they, they kind of run off into the sunset. Uh, well, into the night. Uh, and that's, that's the end of Licorice Pizza. You know, I think it's um, it is a film that doesn't have a plot, but I feel like that 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 really doesn't mean anything. The the acting here is great. I feel mm-hmm. like Philip Hoffman and Elena Haim for this being their first film in leading roles, they're just naturals, and they 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 soaked up the screen. Well, this was Cooper Hoffman's first acting uh, gig ever, so this you was know, his complete that's introduction. What I mean. like, yeah. This was this was their first acting gigs together. That's what I meant to say. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. Because um, I know Alana's been in a couple things previously, but this was like the she absolute has? introduction for Hoffman. Well, you she's she's acted in a film before. I want to say she has. Because uh, she's this was her first movie, man. Was this her first movie? Maybe she's. Oh, I knew that she was in documentary now, so I figured she was in other movies as well. So I guess oh, she's only been in playing- that TV. Yeah, she was playing herself though. That's yeah. what I see here, but um, yeah, you know, um, yeah, I, I, um, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I feel like they both soak up the screen so well. The young man is a natural. I feel like his father would be very proud of him. Oh yeah, you know, um, yeah, man. I just, I, I think everybody did great acting in this film, dude. Like, um. Sean Penn was great as Jack Holden. Sean like, Penn was absolutely fantastic in this because right. he had that like uh, just cockiness down to a beat. Mm-hmm. And Bradley Cooper, as we mentioned, not even cockiness, just delusion. Oh, delusion too. Yeah, yeah. Right. He kept calling her a homegirl that he used to work with on a film, and she's like, "Do you even remember my name?" Oh no, it was the. It was the name of the girl that she auditioned for. It was like Rainbow something. I can't remember what the name of the film was. Something but like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we mentioned Bradley Cooper is in this. Um, did you catch the John C. Riley cameo? You know what? I didn't. I, I, I found out about it later. I didn't know who that was. I knew it was the monster guy. Like mm-hmm. I knew the character from the show um but i didn't know that was john c Riley. as soon as he talked you know he has one line where he goes yes i'm the guy you know i'm the original monster and that's his only line line. but it's It's so john c Riley that when i heard it i was like oh that's john c Riley." and as bad as it sounds but throughout the rest of the movie all i could think was i gotta watch the credits for john c Riley. i gotta know if that was actually john c Riley. Because right, right. I, I got to know. And I was watching the credits and I was still watching for it and just going, you know what? No, screw this. IMDb. Yeah, it was John C. Riley. <laughs> yeah, man. I thought that was funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he says, yes, I'm the guy. Now get behind the line. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can picture him saying that. I can picture that guy being like, just get behind the line, kid. Uh, I thought that was one of the. I figured when at first it was John C. Riley there. Or when I thought that sounds like John C. Riley, I was like, he might have a bigger part in this. No, that's that's it. That's just the one line. They they dressed up John C. Riley as uh, Herman Munster and then just had him throw one line out and then they <laughs> threw him off set. 
I don't know if you knew who he I don't know if you knew who he was, but the guy that played the mayor, you know, um, that's Benny Safdie, like one of the brothers that directed Uncut Gems. Oh, I didn't catch that one. Yeah, yeah, he's an actor, but you know, yeah, he he directs he directed um he directs movies with his brother, like they did Uncut Gems and Good Time together. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Um Tom Waits, I loved him as that director that was kind of egging on Sean Penn's character. Oh, like, he's the one that gonna, uh yeah. was like, I'm going to need you to get uh a bunch of, you know, chairs and stuff. Bring him down to like hole 9 and <laughs> Right. If I didn't know they were on a golf course, because I thought he was like joking. I'm like, what hole is he talking about? I did I'm too. Like, I didn't realize it was an actual thing that they were gonna do. <laughs> I thought he was just kind of messing with the uh, wait staff with that. And then no, they actually went onto a golf course, and I was like, what is going on in this movie? I don't. <laughs> I'm not following this at all anymore. Right. It's so it's so weird and stupid. Like uh, we're gonna redo the scene from the movie. Yeah, like, you all gonna be in for a treat, and I'm like, this is so. But this comes off like so Hollywood to me, though, like so 70s Hollywood, like you oh, know, yeah. the eccentric directors, you know, um, weird deluded actors, you know, what I'm saying like producers that uh, you know, are a little crazy, you know, what I'm saying like this. This comes off as 70s Hollywood. Um, yeah, man, I absolutely love this film. Um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson once again knocked it out of the park. Now let me let me speak to the non PTA fan in me. Um, I still love this film, but I'm kind of like, should we talk about the the age difference? I mean, it, it's a very glaring creepy? thing because is it, that still not creepy in the end? It, I mean, I I I don't like the ending because of that. Because has time passed? Or no, he's still sixteen. Oh, oh, okay. So yeah, there's a nine eight year difference between them, and he's still underage. So it's so weird. Because um, the best way to describe this movie is it's flirting with jealousy. Because both of them are constantly getting in relationships with people that are age appropriate. Thank God. And constantly just making the other jealous because they keep doing that throughout the entire film and then bouncing back to each other to play this. Well, you're too young for me. Well, I don't care game. And then they'll go off into their own path again, get jealous, come back. And I don't think she was trying to make him jealous in the beginning when she dated Lance. No, not in the beginning. But okay, yeah, after yeah. that, she started getting jealous of the girl he was girls he was talking to, and then she would start talking to somebody, and he would get jealous of whoever she was talking to, and it just would go back and forth throughout the entire movie. Like that was that's the right, subplot right, of this right. movie is jealousy, one hundred percent. But right. it leads to some great kind of like talking moments and stuff like that. Uh, I still think one of my favorite lines in the movie is, what does your penis look like? Uh, like, normal, I guess? I don't... What are you asking? <laughs> right, right. After she says it to, You know that's her real family, right? That's the real Haim sisters, and that's their real parents. Yeah, I got that that was her real sisters. I didn't know that that was her real parents, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were sitting at the dinner, dinner table, and he's like, uh, well, I'm an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and the, uh, the family's Jewish. So previously right, right. he was Jewish, but he's going, yeah, well, after, you know, thinking about it and everything like that, uh, I was raised Jewish, but I, uh, I'm actually atheist now, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs> that was funny. And I like, I like the little, the little conversations between her and her sisters, um, where, uh, at one point the, I don't know if it's the younger sister or the older sister, but the one point the younger sister was like, you know, you just got to chill out sometimes, you know, like you don't have to be so intense. And she's like, she's like, F you. Or like, you yeah. know, <laughs> I can appreciate them having this conversation in real life. You know what I'm saying? Cause they're sisters. Um, oh, there was also the scene where they're talking in, uh, do you think it's weird that I hang out with Gary and all his like 13 and 14 year old friends? You think it's weird, don't you? Yeah, you definitely, you're judging me, aren't you? Fuck you. I hate you. <laughs> and this is when the right. other person hasn't said a word at all. It's just. <laughs> right, right, right. 
Um, key moments, man. Key moments. Uh, I love the part where he's doing a variety show, and right before he goes on, he says, hey, I'm going to tell a joke on there for you. Like, it's going to be for you. And uh, the dude's going around asking everybody what, what recent television work have they done or whatever. They get to Gary, say, hey, what have you done lately? Oh, I did three Beavers. Three Beavers. He says, oh, you were on three Leave it to Beaver episodes. No, I did three Beavers. And everyone just goes quiet. <laughs> and then he goes on to the next. And then I love how it cuts to uh, them in the backstage. And it's the right. woman whose like entire career was riding on this play that he's in. Just beating him over the head with, what was it, like, like a newspaper or something? Shit, you're not going to ruin my career. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not going to ruin my reputation. I thought that was so funny. Oh, yeah. And um, my, oh, dude, I love the talent agent, bro. Uh, when he first introduces Elena to the talent agent, like it gets, um, it, you know, she seems like a rec- she seemed like a nice lady, but out of nowhere things just got intense. Like, yeah, you got spunk, you got spunk, and I know you're a bad bitch or something like that. Yeah. Like, I know, I know you're tough or something like that. I'm like, dude, this is just this is just a casting agent. Like, you're just you're just being a casting agent. Why you gotta get so intense? Yeah. Um. Oh, because it's during the. You know, just say yes. If she asks you if you can do something, you say yes. Can you speak Spanish? Yes. French? Yes. Portuguese? Yes. I like you. Right. Can you get nude? Yes. And then he's like, no, no, I told you no. He's like, you told me to say yes to everything. (laughs) Not Uh, to that. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know, man. I can't get... I, I, the age thing doesn't take away from this being a good movie, but it just makes it very, very weird. Yeah, it makes the ending not like a, oh, that's cute. And it makes it more of a, oh, that's, mm, I don't like that. I, I don't know if I should be clapping or smiling or what. Yeah. Um, this is a feel-good movie it is, up until it the is. end when you just kind of feel a little bit awkward about it because of just the implications. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I don't know. I don't know what PTA's uh, motivation was behind, like not at least doing a time jump or something. But you know, hey, I'm not the director; it's not my movie. Right. Um, I give it four out of five. I, I think this one's a four out of five for me too. Uh, so it's it, good it's got a, a lot of good things about it. The ending is a little bit off. Uh, there are a couple parts that are a little bit slower, and some things that could have been taken out that really don't make sense to be there. But mm-hmm. when you think about the grand scheme of the movie, a lot of it doesn't make sense. It could be taken out of there. And without those scenes, this movie would just be emptiness. So, like, the scene with him getting arrested and stuff, it's like, it did, what was the point of that? But at the same time, it's like, what was the point of them going to deliver a waterbed to Bradley Cooper? You know, like, what was the point of this scene and that scene? It's like, when well, you start it. getting into it, it uh, that's yeah, most of the movie. <laughs> I feel like that was a weird. I feel like that was a great weird sideline, like where he just got arrested and framed. He they thought he was a dude that committed murder. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just thought that was great, man. I thought that was a great, perfect, like weird PTA moment to me. Well, for um, me, I was when that was happening. I was like, oh, this is where the plot's gonna start. This is this is where we're really gonna lead into something. And then it just fizzles out and goes away, and it's not talked about. I was like, what is this movie? <laughs> Right, right. Um, yeah, man, all around. I thought it was a, a nice meandering film. There's no real plot to it, but I feel like uh, it's something that when you get on the wave of it, it feels good. You know, it's a yeah. feel-good movie. There's no plot, but that works in this movie's favor. This is one of those movies like Dazed and Confused, uh, Everybody Wants Somewhere. There's no plot, but it's a good movie, you know? It's just kind of living in the moment kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I liked it, man. I enjoyed myself when I saw it. I, um, I, I, I enjoyed it. All right, man, you are ready to take the reins on the next one? So I will take the reins on this one. So uh, next up, we have the Tender Bar, which uh, stars uh, Ben Affleck as Uncle Charlie. Uh, we have a couple people playing a character named J.R. We have uh, Daniel Ranieri, and then uh, who plays a young version of J.R. in his like adolescence, I think like 10, 11 years old or so. 
And then we have Ron Livingston as the future JR, who is uh, the kind of 17, I, 16 through 18 years old version of JR, uh, which is junior. Uh, throughout the movie, he's called JR because he refuses to take his dad's first name mm-hmm. uh, because his dad is a deadbeat. So we're introduced to him and his mother as they get kicked out of their apartment and they're moving back in with uh, her father or his grandfather, played by Christopher Lloyd. Absolutely amazing to see him in a film again. It's been a long time. And oh, nobody. He wasn't that, but he, this is, uh, yeah, I guess that was last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But tell you, man, this pandemic, this this feels like all one blur to me. Right. It's all. Yeah. I I forgot that was this year uh, or last year, technically. But see uh, what I mean? Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, it's it's all a blur, man. 2020 through 2030 is all just going to be one year. (laughs) Oh, God, no. (laughs) But yeah, I hear you. Go ahead. But uh, Christopher Lloyd is in here as a grandfather. uh, Absolutely fantastic. Who owns the house that pretty much the entire family continually comes back to and leaves. And it becomes like the safe haven for Jr. And I love how they put together like the different meanings between his mother and him when it comes to different things Mm -hmm. uh like when he hears his father he hears like a powerful voice in the radio and stuff when she hears it she just hears the wife beater that he is Mm -hmm. and then uh when it comes to the house like he sees it as the place where all the family goes and where he gets to see all his cousins and his uncle and his grandfather and stuff and his mother sees it as a failure because it means that something didn't work out and she's returning to there. So I love how there's that little bit of a difference between them. But we just kind of see him growing up and going to college, uh, getting girlfriend for the first time, getting his heart broken for the first time, going mm-hmm. back to the girl for the first time, and then the second time, and then the third time, and then, you know. But uh, it's just kind of a more relaxed, live-in-the-moment movie where we're seeing him go through these different things. But the ba- major point is his uncle Charlie, played by Ben Affleck, sticking in his life and kind of being that mentor for him mm-hmm. and kind of always being there by his side and giving him the best advice possible and just being a, the father figure he didn't have, more or less. Mm-hmm. And that really, it's this is a more... I think Ben Affleck shines in this movie more than uh, Ron uh, Livington does playing Jr. Even though Jr. is well, the main character, <laughs> Ron Livingston just does the voice. Um, Ty Sheridan is like the main like like um, young adult to adult Jr. Ah, uh, Ty. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Ron Livingston is from Office Space. He's the narrator. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah he's the narrator. Um, yeah, Ben Affleck, dude. When you told me this was his best performance, man, I feel like I don't. I really feel like this and The Way Back are neck and neck. They're both great performances. Um, this has the running to be a little bit over that, a little bit. But uh, I love both. I, I think both are very strong performances from him. Yeah, because yeah, you was, asked me in our last podcast, you know, does this go above The Way Back? And it's like, I think so. It's it it's a neck and say. neck chase, but it's. I, I think this one's just a little bit above that. It's hard to say. He he he, he has been killing it though. Um, but I will say, uh, Ty Sheridan holds his weight to me. Okay. I think Ty Sheridan as as Jr. holds his weight to me opposite Ben Affleck. Um, I don't see any flaws in his performance. Um. So this is kind of like I, I like that we are doing this in uh, Licorice Pizza side by side because they're both kind of films that don't really have a plot. Yeah. Um, and they're coming of age. You know, you could say like, OK, this guy, he grows up without his dad in his life. He's probably only seen his dad a, a handful of like a handful of moments in his life. He goes to college, uh, falls in love with a girl, tries to discovers he wants to be a writer uh graduates from college, works as a writer for New York Times, discovers it's not for him. Then he decides, okay, I'm gonna write a memoir instead. And that's the movie. But you know, this again, this movie is about like moments and you know, like um growing up to be a man and like 
like I love the community that he has with his uncle and like the bar itself. Oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like when he would always say, like, uh, hey, I'm gonna back this person up and pay for his drink. I I'm backing this person up. And you know, um I love the the relationship with him and his uh him and his mom where she's like uh like listen, you know, like you're going to Yale and Harvard, you're going to be a lawyer because this is what you deserve. I don't want you being stuck here like everyone else. You you're gonna be something in your life. Like you see, I'm coming back home to live with my dad. I don't want that to be you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you then, look at uh, your grandfather. You know, he went to Harvard. Or he went to college. You know, he has a photographic memory. He doesn't do anything with it except for sing show tunes and you know fart on the couch all night. Right. You know, you're not gonna be like the rest of this family. You're gonna be the one that stands out. Yeah, I I, I like the life that's um that I, I like the. Even though he may live, even though he may be lower class, like the, the joke, the running joke in the film is that um, there's only like the upper middle class. The rich are like invisible. They don't, you don't see them because um, you know they they uh they don't want to be killed or something like that. Yeah, or the rich don't want to be seen. <laughs> right, the rich don't want to be seen unless um because they don't want to be killed or something like that. Something funny. Um, even though he may not be living in the greatest of um. Uh, even though he may not be living in the greatest home, he has good influences in his life. Oh, yeah. He has the most powerful kind of, like, people around him to guide him on his path. And he has the wealth of family. He doesn't have the wealth of money. There you go. There you go. He has family. That's his wealth. And uh, you see it it shining on him as he grows up. One thing I like about this movie, man, that it didn't have a sad ending. No, it had a really good ending. Like, I was kind of surprised with, uh, because it's a memoir. And typically, like, you would think that it would have ended on kind of a, and then this is, you know, where I started writing it and stuff like that. But no, he kind of ends it a little bit before that. And with, like, a happy thing of him going off to be his own person as a success. Yeah, like, I was surprised. Because usually with stuff like this, you're like... It kind of has a lot of pump fake moments like, you know, the mom gets sick and you're like, oh, man, the mom's about to go. But no, Mm -hmm. the mom is fine. Cancer goes away. Then the uncle gets sick and you're like, oh, man, the uncle's about to go. But the uncle's fine. And the end of the movie, you know, he gives him the keys of the car and says, you know, like, I get out of here. You know, I'm like, oh, oh, that was actually a a nice happy ending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also love how he gets, like, the advice and everything, like, as a kid, and you kind of see that going through the rest of the movie with Mm. uh, that advice. Like, here's where you put your drink, and you always see that he puts his drink on the left side throughout the entire movie. He always follows what uh, his uncle said, you know. Uh, here's where you keep your money. You never drink this money. Always keep, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, always treat these people with respect. If somebody backs you up, you back them up again. You know, which mm-hmm. backing somebody up is to buy them a drink. Right, right, right. So it, he just gives him this like great advice right from the get go, and you kind of see it all come to play throughout the movie. Like it does a really good job of doing like that callback to that. Uh, it also kind of goes between time frames. So we see his. Uh, younger self and his older self kind of going back and forth a little bit until like about halfway through the movie and then it's all his older self mm-hmm. uh except for the time where he's talking to his younger self and that that scene is hilarious <laughs> right right is <laughs> the his younger kid self cusses him out in his um little dream yeah listen man when he fell in love with the girl dude this this is simple male female psychology. I knew I knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, man. You you gotta know this woman's just using you. Everyone tells him this. His friends, his uncle Charlie. He says, like like kid, I'm telling you, this, this woman's not gonna. She's not gonna leave whoever she's dating for you. Right. You know what I mean? But he he's so like I love how that one cutaway scene they have, where um, I think his uncle asks him like like you're not you're not really tripping over this girl, are you? And they show him outside in the rain saying, Sydney! Yeah. You're not actually, you know, out in the rain yelling her name at the window or anything. He's like, nah, nah. And then it cuts to him doing just that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a part of growing up. You know what I mean? 
Right. I, I like how this film like it shows it, it's really about a man growing up. Um, with that being said, uh, what do you feel about George Clooney's directing? Um, I thought it was good. I, I didn't mm-hmm. see any issue with it here. And mm-hmm. I, I think the film kind of had a good steady pace to it, everything like that. Uh, obviously, he brought the best out of Ben Affleck that he possibly could. So he was doing something yeah. right. Listen, I think Ben Affleck does great in, like, Bostonite roles. You know, Wicked Smart Roles is where Ben Affleck shines. I honestly yeah. believe that. You look at the films he's made, The Town, Gone Baby Gone. You know what I'm saying? Well, he wasn't in Gone Baby Gone. He was in The Town, uh, Live By Night. I haven't seen Argo, but I imagine he was good in that movie. He mm-hmm. directed it, too. But um, Ben Affleck does well in Boston Night Rolls. When he, when ben, listen, I tell people, when Ben Affleck it is in his element, he is great. Oh, yeah. He's a great Batman. I don't think he's I think he's a great Batman. I think so. I loved him as Bruce Wayne. I don't know if he's a great Batman, but he's a really good Bruce Wayne. Okay. The last duel, you know, when you see it, you'll see it. I, I don't I don't think he's good for medieval films. I just don't think he's good for that. <laughs> but Ben Affleck, when he has the right role, he takes it home, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This Ben Affleck knocks it out of the park. The cast knocks it out of the park. Uh, the script, the writing, and everything like that. I think the dialogue is good in this. Uh, I found. I think the directing was good for George Clooney and everything like that. Like, yeah, I, I didn't walk out of it going, "Man, that would have been better if somebody else directed that." You know, I think this is its best possible output. Uh, George Clooney. Um, yeah, he he does a solid job directing. He 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 does the job of a director. He directs the actors and he, he brings the script to life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Obviously you do have directors that, you know, are a little bit that do a little bit more than that, but I feel like with this film he he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, George Clooney is one of those like people that typically when you hear that an actor is going to director, you kind of go, "Oh wow, how's that going to turn out?" With George Clooney it's like, "Yeah, I know exactly how. It's going to be good. He's been in the game long enough that he knows." It's not like he, when Jonah Hill directed mid 90s like, "Wow, that was amazing for being like mm-hmm. his debut in directing he's done some pretty great ones though some have been up and down but he's done some pretty great ones like his very first movie confessions of a dangerous mind with sam rockwell that's a very good movie mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying um the ides of march with him and ryan gosling it's a great political thriller like george clooney when he when he does great he does great i still gotta watch the midnight sky but he he's a, he's he's a pretty good director yeah um I was like, uh, Lily Rabe is pretty great as the mother. You know, yes. before this, I had just been used to seeing her in American Horror Story seasons. But um, I like that she's uh, she actually has a, a pretty solid role in the movie. Yeah, man, I, I this is a pretty this is a feel good movie. Like, I, I didn't get sad watching this. I felt like I was expecting to get sad. I was like, man, they're going to kill the uncle off. But I'm glad they didn't. You know what I mean? Like they, it kind of tiptoes on the line of cliches and then pulls back from them. It does. It does. It keeps it. Uh, it keeps it firm on the line. It plays it straight. Um, this is a solid three point five to me. Uh, I I put this one as a four out of five. Okay, okay I, I really not, like this one. Yeah, I, I'm not mad at it. Maybe on a few few rewatches, I I could go up there. Um, but I felt like I felt like this was this was solid. You yeah. know, I, I feel like both of these films are films that um they're coming of age. They're about people growing up and, uh, you know, you're just along for the ride. You know, they're they're pretty feel good movies. Yeah. Um, oh, and one scene that we didn't talk about that uh, I still love is when he first meets um the one girl's parents at uh, her house in Massachusetts. Yeah, that uh, was a weird scene. Well, it's. It's great because you can tell that they're looking down on him because he oh, didn't yeah. come from yeah, like yeah. a high class kind of family and stuff like that. And, and as soon as he picks up on it, you know, and, and they, go go ahead. What? Well, yeah. As soon as he picks up on it, he starts giving like these sarcastic kind of answers. And you know, well, what does your mom do? Well, you know, she just dwells on things. And you know, she. Uh, we always wondered what it'd be like to live in a house like this. And you know, now I can tell her. You know, <laughs> right. 
I mean, I, I they did look down on him absolutely. Uh, it didn't quite help that they could hear their daughter having sex with him the night before, though. Right. Like, come on, man. Can you imagine meeting your daughter's new man and you just heard them screwing the night before? You're going to be a little like, come on, man. Who is this guy? Right. You know, like, but I, I, they were rude to him, of course. They were very uppity. And uh, that was warning sign number one that this chick ain't for you. Mm-hmm. Warning sign number two. Oh, I'm seeing somebody for the fourth upteenth time. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you kind of just you kind of just facepalm yourself as you see this guy falling for this woman. Um, and, and, you know, the love isn't reciprocated. But, you know, again, that's part of growing up. Right. Th- those are the mis- like it hurts because, you know, the feeling that he's going through. But he right. just keeps going for it. It's like, oh, come on, man. Just just take the hint, please. You're, you're smart. Please just take the hint. <laughs> right. Right. Just take the hint. That's all you, that's all you guys say. Um, I like the I, I thought the father son dance was pretty cute. Um, I expected Uncle Charlie to be the one that would take him in place of his father. But when it ended up being Christopher Lloyd, that was a little surprising. Yeah, but I like how it played out a little bit more with that because it, yeah. we got to see a little bit more of Christopher Lloyd in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause that was really, he was always like kind of just in the background in there. He doesn't have very many lines in this movie. Uh, but he does kind of take the star approach as soon as he's on screen, but I couldn't stop seeing him as Christopher Lloyd. I didn't see him as a grandfather. I was just like, oh yeah, that's Christopher Lloyd again. <laughs> see, I didn't do that. I feel like he, he sunk well into his character. I didn't see him as Chris. Uh, but I, I like that it showed that he once was a smart man, but life kind of like, kind of brought him down a little bit you know what i'm saying because mm-hmm. i think they said he went to dartmouth yeah he he went he has like a college degree and stuff he's incredibly smart and i love how they kind of show that every once in a while yeah yeah like they, they, there's there's still a smart intelligent charming man in him mm-hmm. it's just overtaken by you know today's kind of drunken sitting on the couch watching show tunes all day kind of guy right that he is today um, I like that, man. I, I like the like I like the subtle character developments that are that are with the characters in this film. It, it's shown really well. Um, what else? I want to I want to name some. Uh, I want I think I want to name one more key moment, but it's not coming to me. Uh, when he goes to his father's house, that was a major one. His father. We yeah. We, did we talk about his father at uh, all? Not really. His father was kind of a radio personality. Uh, He was divorced from his mom at the beginning of the film and everything. And he kind of pops in for these scenes to kind of show that he wasn't really a part of his life and really didn't care to be a part of his life. Cause there's a scene where he like picks him up and drives him like around the block and then drops him off. It's like, good seeing you again, son. You know, you go off and (laughs) I missed that. I thought they had went to the game and it cut. But I'm like, wait a minute. Did he really just take him around the block and yeah. just drop him off at home? Yeah. It, I don't want to laugh, man, but that is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, that's all he did is he dropped him off because it's there, no time passage, you know, change. It's still sunny out and sunny out when uh, he picks him up and drops him off. It's literally jump in the car, drive around the block, and then drop him off and go, great day with you, son. And then he drives off. That's so horrible, man. That's so horrible. I like how the film, I like the subtle ways in which the film gives you clues in, as to what ha- what's happening. Like when you're in, when you're in the car and listening to the music and his voice comes up, you don't know it's his voice first. The mother just shuts off the radio. I'm like, why does she do that? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know why until later when you find out, oh, the voice is his dad. I like how the film winked at that before we got there. Yeah, Uh, I love how they also just call him The Voice, because that's all he is in his life is a voice, and that's also his nickname as The Voice. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that was just sad, bro. Like, and then when he came to see him as an adult, and, you know, he's beating on his new wife, his new daughter doesn't even like him, uh, the father. Yeah, Uh, he's a drunk. Yeah, like, it's just, yeah, that was just sad, bro. Um... That was just a pretty much letdown scene, not not in a bad way, but it's like you know you're let down by like this guy never changed, you know right. he he called him at his graduation saying he was making amends, but you could tell he wasn't really you could tell he wasn't really in no program. He was just you know just calling him saying that he was. Um, yeah, like I love how it does that kind of uh, 
balance where it shows everybody in his life really does have good intentions for him. And then he has the people that he wishes were in his life, but you can see that they don't have those good intentions for him. Right. So let me ask you, bottom line, which one, you know, which one I got winning out, um, uh, licorice pizza. What do you got? Uh, this one's a hard one because they both have their benefits in different areas and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so this one is actually a pretty rough one to choose. Like which one is better? And I, let me put the let me put the gun in your head. If you had to make a choice, which one would you go with? Uh, I would honestly say the tender bar. Okay. I, I think the tender bar just has a little bit more going with it because it does actually have like a centralized plot going with this person growing up and everything like that. You see him making mistakes. You see him growing. You see him kind of learning who he is and everything. And it ends with a happy ending that I can like walk out of the theater and go, I'm, that was a good, that, that was good. Yeah, um, I yeah. didn't feel dirty at the end of watching it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't feel dirty. You felt dirty watching Licorice Pizza with the age gap. You're like, eh, with, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. I guess, I guess. Just walking out of the theater going, I don't, am I clapping because, no, do I support? I don't support that, but but it was a good, oh, I don't know. Right, 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 right. Um, fair enough, fair enough. I knew that would have something against it in this showdown. Like, because everyone's going back to that. Like, well, th- there's an age difference. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a pretty drastic one. It's not like they were like, oh, yeah, he's 17 and she's, you know, 19. It's like, okay, well, mm, it's still, but man. It, yeah, 25 and 16. It's like, mm, that's, mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would make more sense if she was 20. But like the 20, the big age gap is kind of like, because, because if you be fair and you reverse this and it's a male feet, like, and it's a, um, it's a young woman, a grown man, you'd be a little bit more alarmed. With It'd this. be very creepy. <laughs> It'd be very creepy. You know, to take away the double standard, you're like, I, I, I don't know how I feel about this, you know, but it, it is what it is. Um, any movies you've seen lately, man? Um, I have not. I've started doing a rewatch of Breaking Bad. So that's been taking up, uh, my, you know, time in front of the screen. What brought that about? You getting ready for the new season of Saul? Uh, it's a combination of I can't wait for the new season of Better Call Saul and the fact that YouTube has been throwing Breaking Bad clips at me for the last, like, three weeks, just nonstop. Mm. So, like, every time I would pull up YouTube to search for something, immediately on that front page would be, like, Breaking Bad clip, you know, compilation 265 and i'd be like yeah i guess i'll watch that and eventually i was just like you know what why am i watching clips i should just watch the show again i pretty much to the point that i'm almost going to watch the entire series again and just clips <laughs> i might as well just get ahead of it i i don't want to take you away from the fun you're having um but i really feel it, it's it's almost a duty of yours if you love breaking bad you need to finish the sopranos i i should finish it, it's almost one. a duty of yours yeah like I, I i'm telling you that influenced everything we love today yeah i know i'll i'll get to it i'll i'll get to it <laughs> okay fair enough um dude i've been really catching up on my netflix uh film watching man i i've there were a lot of films in my in my list that i need to catch up on a lot of original netflix films and uh i saw pieces of a woman the other day uh, great film with uh, Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf. Dude, I wish Shia LaBeouf didn't mess his career up. He would have been an Oscar nominee by now. Yeah, he, he had a lot going for him, and then he just kind of went off the rails. And even after off the rails, it's like the sexual harassment allegations against him kind of did him in. Because that's the only reason Netflix didn't submit his performance for a nomination was because all the allegations came out. I'm like, dude, this guy was this close to getting recognized for his acting the way I get in my eyes he should have been for his talent but um yeah. yeah that's just a tragic case man but Vanessa Kirby was great in that film she's she she she's great in that lead role um I finally saw Orson Welles last film The Other Side of the Wind um I had started that film a long time ago but never finished it I finally finished it 
and a documentary about his life in that unfinished film. You know who Orson Welles is, right? Oh, yeah. Of course you do. We watched Mank. Yeah, we... Um, <laughs> I was going to say, we've watched some of his movies. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. Uh, what else did I see? Um, I was going to watch Sandra Bullock's The Unforgivable. I didn't get to it yet. Uh, I know I watched something else. Pieces of a Woman, Harder Day Fall. You see Harder Day Fall yet? I have not seen that one yet. Oh, dude, check that out immediately. That is a great cowboy movie, man. Cowboy movies are always a gamble because they're either going to be really slow or really fast-paced. This one is just the perfect the perfect fast-paced kind of movie, dude. Yeah. I, I've got to pull up my Netflix and just kind of start going through some stuff because it's, it's been a while since I've you know sat down, opened Netflix and not gone, oh, yeah, that Jim Gaffigan comedy special. Let's just put that on. You know, because I just had to ask myself, I said, man, I used to be really into Netflix. Then everything came, the oversaturation age came where, dude, there's great programs on Hulu. There's great programs on Prime Video. And I kind of like, I kind of forgot about the old big end, man. I I went back on Netflix. I said, these are some damn good movies. Why haven't I watched these? Netflix has a lot of great originals now. It's kind of lost the edge on like having everything because of that and i think that's why it's netflix isn't the go-to hub anymore because now it's just well what am i gonna watch and it's just roulette through netflix amazon hulu hbo disney and just going which one of these apps am i gonna open and find something in let me tell you something man the the shuffle play something option that's on netflix it takes away of the uh the um how do i put it the uh the overwhelmingness of it all if you just shuffle it and just play something random that's in your list or just based on something you want or that you like or something like that, that's great. Um, it really is a great feature because it takes away the pressure of – it sounds insane to me saying I feel pressure to pick something to watch on Netflix. But I do. I go through all the great options I have. I'm like, man, I want to start that Pinky Blinder show. But I never finished Ozark. But I never finished Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. And you spend half of your time figuring out what to watch. And the other half just saying, fuck it, I'll turn on Office. Uh, yeah. I don't want to watch this. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's, a, it's a pressure decision. Yeah, especially when you fall behind on something. Like, I, I love uh, F is for Family, the Bill Burr animated series. Mm-hmm. I haven't yeah. seen the last season yet. And, you know, like Big Mouth, it's a pretty good show. I haven't seen the last two seasons of that one, I think. It's like once you fall behind on it and – you just start with something else and all of a sudden it comes back with a new season. And even though it's in that binge format, it it's even more daunting because it's like, ah, oh, it's not like I can just watch one episode every week right. going forward. It's the entire show is right here right now. Dude, I, I never finished BoJack Horseman. I like BoJack Horseman. Um, Orange is the New Black. I like Orange is the New Black, but the last two seasons I missed them. Now, you can always watch them. Right. You can always get to them, but it's like it's such a daunting decision because like I want to watch this, but I never finished this. But yeah. I never even finished this before this. You know what I mean? But uh I just came to the agreement that I'm I'm gonna spend more time on Netflix, man. Um I use my Prime for Amazon purchases. I don't really use Prime Video that much. Hulu is my mom's thing. Um I don't like ads like that. I I, I I've grown to not like advertisements um disney plus is cool um but that's kind of like nostalgic and stuff like that and for you know star wars and marvel and stuff like that so i feel like i'm gonna i'm gonna knock down this marvel i'm gonna knock down this netflix list man i feel like that's my agenda because they got they got some great stuff on there man i haven't given it the attention that i should you know what i'm saying yeah i i I agree 100 percent. it's just it like you said it's daunting to kind of open it up and you see your queue of 200 things and you're like oh no <laughs> there's so right. much i'm but telling you man too many shuffle, o- too many options the shuffle play something button it it, it works wonders it kind of takes away your decision for you oh the power of the dog that's what i saw with benedict cumberbatch and uh, uh who's my girl from spider-man Kristen dunst oh, okay dude that's another Western, man. Um, a little bit on the slow side, a little slow paced, but uh, a very well done movie. Okay. I would uh, I would recommend it right right behind Harder Day Fall. Yeah, those those are two great movies. 
Um, dude, let me ask you this, man. Who who doesn't pay somebody back thirty dollars? Uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like when I was watching the tender bar, and like that's the one thing Uncle Charlie keeps bringing up. Like, yeah, I where's my thirty dollars? Up my ass. Why don't you go reach for it? <laughs> like I lent him thirty. Like he met your mom in the bar. He was kind of a lame, and uh, he, I lent him thirty dollars. Like he always comes back to that. Like yeah, he owes me thirty dollars. Yeah, <laughs> he he calls up um he calls up Jr. at one point and um he says, "Hey, Dad's on the phone. You want to talk to him? Ask him where's my thirty dollars." Yeah. <laughs> Tell your Uncle Charlie I said hi. <laughs> right, right. Who doesn't pay somebody back thirty dollars? I don't know. It, like that was so ridiculous. I think it's like, to show just how irresponsible he is that he never even has thirty dollars on him. Right. I think it was on him. He just refused to pay him. Man, it could be that, too. I feel so bad, man. But that's just so funny that he took him in the car. He drove him around the corner. Because I, th- I thought I missed something. I thought they went to the game or something. Yeah, and he no. said, all right, son, bye. <laughs> that is so horrible. Oh, my goodness. All right, y'all. Well, this has been another great episode of Double Feature Versus. All right. Y'all take care.